Thanks for joining the Church at Nolensville Sermon Podcast. We exist to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime, anywhere, with anybody. Good morning. So excited that you're here today. My name is Wade Owens, and we're starting a new series today called The Seven Sayings of Jesus. And it's interesting when you look through all the words of Jesus, there are seven that were given in his last dying breaths, and we want to pay attention to them. And I'll begin by reminding you, I think of a story I don't know that I've ever shared. I've told you quite often that we, my family and I, love to go to the unreached places of the world. We love to go to places where others aren't going to the gospel. And the first ever experience that we had overseas was to Yemen. It just happened to work on our calendar. And we got on a plane with a group of people to take the gospel to Yemen. And we got there. We saw incredible work, incredible movements of God. But we went to this hospital. Do you remember that? And we met this lady who... She and her husband had started a hospital there years ago to just bring the good news of Jesus through medicine and care to that area of Yemen. And they were having great success loving on people and serving people. And while she was there, they loved on these two uh, Muslim women and they received such incredible care. They went back and told their family, she said, I don't, I don't know what's going on there and I don't know what those Christians truly believe, but I've never in my life encountered that kind of love. And a member of their village decided that day that he was going to do something terrible. And he and a few men went back to the hospital in Yemen, a place where we got to visit, and went back and started shooting up the place. And the wife was one of the only few remaining survivors. She, she watched her husband get killed. And they had done so much good work there that the government was actually going to put the criminals on trial. And she called the government and she said this, because they said, what do you want to say? What do you want to be known? And she said this quote, I have been forgiven of much worse by my king and I choose to forgive them. CNN and other people picked up the story and People like Anderson, Cooper, and others were wondering, how in the world could you offer forgiveness? I mean, if you read through some of the comments of the people that were online talking about, I mean, they were appalled. How would you just offer forgiveness so quickly? I mean, there was no frame of reference that that should even register in a rational mind. They just murdered your husband. I mean, we met with her and we sat with her and we said, how? And she said, The truth of the gospel is if we have been forgiven, then then we have to forgive. And God used that in a powerful way in her life and in that village. And over the next 10 years, close to 1,000 people have come to Christ and been baptized in that area. She said, I've been forgiven, and I'm going to forgive. Because see, she was just modeling what was done and modeled for her 2,000 years ago when Jesus was being brutally murdered, when Jesus was being railed against by people who didn't deserve forgiveness at all, but he offered it. And that's where we're going to begin in the seven sayings is in Luke 24 today, verse 34. Jesus said this. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. 
because they know not what they are doing. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. So Jesus, today, I just pray that through your goodness and through your mercy, we would see not only that we have been forgiven, but then we are to be agents of reconciliation, ministers of mercy out into the world. And just as we have received grace, we want to give grace. We've received forgiveness. We want to be those who forgive. So God, do a mighty work in your name. And everybody said, amen. So when you read through the seven last sayings of Jesus, two of them, two of the statements have to do with forgiveness. Do you know what percentage that is? So I'm like, ah, we're not supposed to do math in church. It's 28%. 28% of Jesus's last words have to do with forgiveness, deal with forgiveness. I mean, you think about that of the hundreds of things that Jesus taught while he was here, principles and commandments of all the things that he could have reiterated in that moment while he's hanging on the cross. He could have said, hey, don't forget, don't store up your treasures in heaven. Don't do that. He could have said, hey, don't forget the pursuit of righteousness. It's so important. He could have said, hey, remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and love your neighbor as your what? He could have said that, but, but he didn't. He could have said, hey, you're murdering me. Remember what I said about murder? I said, don't even think about it. You've gone way beyond that. Now you're actually doing it. Don't do that. But he, he didn't do any of that. He could have said hundreds of things on the cross, but out of the seven last sayings of Jesus, two of them have to do with forgiveness. And I think it's because God knows that we struggle with the issue of forgiveness. We struggle with the concept of forgiveness. Why? It's because forgiveness is a stranger to a sinful heart. It's an alien concept. And I think God knew that he knows that it's going to be really difficult for us to not only forgive others when we've been wrong, but God knew also that it's really hard for us to forgive others when we've been wrong, but also to feel forgiven by God. Not only is it hard to forgive others, but it's really hard to feel forgiven. And so these are some of the last statements of Jesus and his dying breath. And we, we want to pay attention. And the first saying he says, while they're mocking him and while they're abandoning him, while he's nailed to a cross, they're gambling for his clothes. Jesus cries out and he says this father, what forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And I want you to see right off the bat, the big idea, the main point in this sermon is that Jesus prays for our forgiveness and that through Jesus, we are forgiven. The Bible says he takes our sins and separates them as far as the East is from the rest. We are forgiven. Jesus said, forgive them. And I want you to hear that Jesus is praying and offering complete forgiveness. And I I want you to answer the question when you hear that. How how does that make you feel? Is it one? Oh, that's nice. But, you know, nothing really to forgive here. It's nice that Jesus does that, but nothing really here. Two, hey, hey, thank you. But overall, um, I I, I mess up a little bit, but but I'm okay. Or or three, when, when you hear that, does your soul say, amen? I can't believe that Jesus would offer that for someone like me, that he is so holy and I am so unholy, but he has forgiven me. How do you feel? 
I mean, I mean, theologically, we know we're supposed to respond with the third one. Amen. But, but, but no, most often, don't we kind of slide into category one or two? Well, you know, I do some things wrong, but I'm not really a murderer. I do some things wrong, but I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, I'm not pointing anybody over here. You, you might want to duck, but you know. But, but Jesus is praying for forgiveness, and he's praying for forgiveness because you need it. Because regardless of the depth of your sin, all sin separates us from a holy God. And it's like an archery term, meaning to miss the mark. And it doesn't matter how far you miss the mark, you miss the mark. And Jesus, right off the bat, is offering forgiveness in an unprecedented way. In probably the most painful moment of anyone's life, he is praying now for others. When he is in the most trouble, in the most pain, he's praying for others. And what happens when you or I are in painful situations like that? What we do is we take on a woe is me mentality, don't we? I mean, my wife and and one of our kids has been sick this week, and they have been troopers. But listen, when I'm sick, woe is me. Any honest men in the room? We're babies, aren't we? Bunch of liars. I only saw like four hands. Wives, how many of your men are babies? Yeah, that's what I thought. When I'm sick, the last thing that's on my mind is how do I bless my wife and children? When I'm sick, I'm irritated at everything. Are they laughing in there? Are they laughing? Hey, turn off the TV. I want the kids to come in and bow down. Oh, Father, how unimaginable is your pain. We are going to fast and pray for your healing. When we're wronged, we want everything to be about us. When we're wronged, everything needs to be about me. Jesus was wronged. He who knew no sin, yet became sin for us. And when he's praying, he's praying for forgiveness. He's not praying as they nail him to the wood, strike him dead. Let's start over. Send lightning. God, do something. No, in the midst of this, he is not being self-centered, which you would imagine would be natural. This is the son of God for crying out loud. The one who left treasure for torture, splendor for shame, glory for Golgotha. In this moment, what he's doing is he's taking care of your relationship and my relationship with the Father. And when he says, Father, forgive them, it wasn't just for the crowd that was doing unimaginable evils. It was for you right where you sit today. It was... For us. And I want you to see, not only does he play forgive them, but look what else he says. He says, because what? They don't, they don't know what they're doing. And so what I want you to understand about the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. He offers you forgiveness when you haven't cleaned your life up yet. He offers you forgiveness when you're a hot mess. He offers you a forgiveness when you're dead in your sin. He offers you forgiveness when you haven't offer, asked for it yet. That's what Jesus does. He comes to you. He doesn't say, check a box, make a list, get your life together, then you earn my forgiveness. He gives it to you before you've ever done one thing to deserve it. Father, forgive them. Because they know not what they do. 
And he does it in the midst of his pain. He doesn't do it after the resurrection, when the pain of the cross was over, when life is better. No, he does it as blood is dripping down. Father, forgive them. And Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, this was not a prayer for enemies that had done him ill years ago, but for those who were right there. And if Jesus was going to pause from intercessory prayer, it would have been when they were nailing him to a tree, but he didn't stop. Therefore, listen, sin cannot hold the tongue of our Savior. You have sinned, but you will never stop the Savior. So no no matter what sin you carry, it doesn't stop Jesus. You can't stop Jesus from praying for you. You can't stop Jesus from asking God to forgive you. You can't delay his forgiveness because it was given on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So let me ask you a question. Do you you ever struggle? Maybe answer this privately. Do you ever struggle feeling forgiven? Do you ever struggle feeling like Jesus is actually okay with you even though you still struggle? Let me, let me just give you a quick illustration to look at. Let's put it here. You imagine two, two different directions. One of them is just really understanding and feeling the weight of your sin. And some of you are like, man, I got that. I, I can feel that. I get that. Well, the Bible says it's a good thing for us to understand and feel the weights and the depths of our sin. But listen, if we just stay there, then we never begin to understand the grace of God. And if, if we have a small understanding of the weight of our sin then we have a small understanding of the grace of God. And then the cross becomes sort of a small thing in our lives. But man, if we carry the weight of our sin all the way out to the end, and in the midst of that, we know that forgiveness through God's grace has been offered, then here's what we see. We see not a small cross, but a giant cross in our lives. I see, hey, it was my sin that put him there. It was my shame that put him there. It was my life that nailed him to the cross. And I understand the real weight and depth of my sin, but I see how glorious is the grace of my God that was was offered to me and forgiveness on the cross. And then we have a massive cross in our life. And so the question is, do you you want a small cross in your life? Go to the next slide. Do you want a big cross in your life? I like knowing there's a giant cross in my life and that I am already forgiven and I know the real weight and depths of my sin, but I know the profound grace of God and I choose to stare at a giant cross in my life. Because it's not that our sin isn't wicked. It's just that the blood of Jesus is just that powerful. And like I told you last week, Jesus has authority over your past. Therefore, it doesn't get to define you anymore. And if you struggle with feeling forgiveness, then not only go back, not only do you need to feel the weight of your sin, but see the grace of God so you see the cross for what it is. Amen? So we need to feel forgiven. But not only do we need to feel forgiven, but then we need to to move on to the next thing here, is forgiving others. How many of y'all, don't show your hands, but know someone who's easily offended? And if they're next to you, just stare at them. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Come on. 
I mean, if you don't know someone who's easily offended, then you probably aren't on social media very often. But people get offended by the easiest thing. They roll their eyes. Their tone of voice. Someone forgot to say thank you. You ever been driving in traffic and you, you got a really long line and people are trying to merge and then you let someone in, you know what I'm talking about? And then they don't give you that wave. They don't give you the thank you wave or the, the flasher. So they don't do that. No, you would still be stuck in traffic if it weren't for my mercy. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere, the thank you wave. Ever had a friend who doesn't respond to your text, slow to respond? And then you text and you know that they've read your text and they start to respond because you see the bubbles. But then the bubbles disappear and they ghost you. So we're so quick to be offended and we're so quick to judge others. We're so quick to forget that we've been forgiven and we judge others so harshly. If you're on a search to be offended, you're always going to find what you're looking for. But if we live as forgiven people, then we quickly forgive. But I've, I've never had a win in my life by living offended. I've never found myself better because I'm bitter. I'm never having a better day because I'm just bitter. My marriage is never stronger because I'm bitter. I'm never closer to God. I'm never making a difference in this world when I have bitterness and a lack of forgiveness. Your life is too short. You're calling of God too great to walk around in bitterness and unforgiveness. Proverbs 19.11 says this. It says, a person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. We have been forgiven. We need to quickly forgive. We just need to say, I'm over it. Look at the person next to you. Say, I'm over it. Now maybe nudge another person. Say, hey, I'm over it too. And we're over it because we know that as forgiven people, we're called to forgive. And I want to help you with a statement that will help you. But before that, let's, let's look at another verse here. Proverbs ten twelve says, hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offense. And I, I want to unpack this because I think something dynamic happens in every interaction that happens in your life. And there's a gap between an action and a reaction. And so I want to put it up here. So there, there's always a gap between an action. Somebody does something. There's a gap. And then there's, there's your reaction. There's always a chance where you get the opportunity to respond. There's an action. There's a gap for your response, and then there's a reaction. The problem is, is we're really horrible interpreters. How many times has someone ever misunderstood you or maybe didn't understand what you meant, and then they respond, and like, hey, how come you don't know me? Hey, why is that what you think of me? And I'll tell you why. It's because we always explain our behavior on our circumstances. It's not my fault. It's just my circumstances. But we always blame other people's actions on their character. So, so my actions, my actions are just the result of my circumstances. But your actions, well, you're just a sorry dude. So if I disappoint you, hey, you need to know my heart. But if other people disappoint you, then, well, they're just not a good person and they're just mean. And so we excuse ourselves 
but we judge others quickly. So if you walk in a store and your kid throws a fit and you know, man, they haven't had a nap today and it's been a really hard day. Just give me some grace. It's a really, really tough day because my kid's not always like this. But you walk into the store by yourself on a solo journey and you go in and someone else's kid is throwing a fit. You look at him, come on, parents. You're raising a little turd you're going to release on society one day. Get it together. <laughs> we want grace but we don't give it. We have been forgiven, but we withhold forgiveness. And I excuse my behavior based on circumstances. I blame your behavior on your character. We expect it from others, but we don't choose to give it. But we get to choose what we put in the gap. And the enemy, the enemy wants this. He wants you to put accusations in the gap. And they're always that way. They just got an evil heart. They don't like me. They're judging me. They want my job. And accusations crumble churches, break down marriages, deflate friendships. And the enemy always wants you to fill the gap with accusations. But but God, on the other hand, wants you to fill them, not with accusations, but with love. Proverbs 17, nine says, whoever covers an offense seeks love. Cause if you put accusations in the gap, you're always going to be bitter. So we find ourselves rehearsing thing. I can't wait to see him. And I'm going to tell him this. I can't wait to get back with him. I'm going to remind them of this, but God calls us to put love in the gap. We get above the offense. We rise above the offense. I am a forgiven one. I choose forgiveness. My calling is too great for me to be bound by bitterness. God has a higher calling for me and I'm over it. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to get above it. And our culture is so offended by everything. But no one has ever changed the world by walking around bitter. And we choose to forgive because we remember 2,000 years ago, forgiveness was offered to me when I didn't ask for it or deserve it. Jesus' mission was one of love and forgiveness, and he wasn't derailed by it because of evil people. My, My calling ahead of me is more important, more important than the offenses behind me. The calling on my life is too great to be bound by bitterness. We're supposed to be agents of reconciliation. We're not supposed to be pulled down by small offenses in our life. So what we do is we close the gap. Go back to this slide. With love. We forgive. Because we've been forgiven. And I know what some of you are thinking. Wait, that's really easy on the small stuff. Like it's easy to forgive, but there have been injustices in my life that have deeply affected me. I've been cheated on, been abused, been wronged, been wounded. How do I, how do I forgive those sort of things that are so painful in my life, especially when something that has happened to you or something that's happened to me seems unforgivable and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried, but you just can't get there. Let me give you an illustration. How many of y'all have ever, you ever, ever used a vacuum? How many of your wives wish the other people would use a vacuum more? 
So have you ever been in your home, there's a carpet or whatever you're vacuuming, there's a really little, little bitty tiny piece of something about this big, maybe it's dog hair, maybe it's paper, whatever, and you see it, and it just, it doesn't come up, right? So what do you do when you try a different angle? Come at it this way. If that doesn't work, then what do you do? Come at it from this way. Get that thing up. You know, do I have it on brush or floor? What do I got this on? You know? And then if it doesn't come up, then what do you do? When you bend down, you pick it up. And you look at it and you figure out what it is. Then what do you do? You drop it back down. You're trying to <laughs> vacuum that thing back up again. The reality is, man, there are, there are things in your life, man, you've tried to come at it from every different angle. And you can't get past it. One, I just I want to recognize that wounds in our life actually do exist that are so hurtful and painful it's hard to get over. I get that. And let me give you something that has helped me in my life because I got wounds too. Something that one of my counselors said to me a long time ago, and it's this. Forgiveness is a solo flight to freedom. Wait, what do you mean that forgiveness is a solo flight to freedom? What does that mean? Because listen, so often in deep wounds and hurt and pain, you're carrying that pain and you're carrying that hatred or that bitterness because you don't want to let them off the hook. You don't think they deserve it, nor do you want them to feel it. And you're going to carry it and I'm going to show them and I'm going to absolutely live out how hard it is around them. I'm going to hold on to that because of them. And you think you're going to hurt them and you think you're going to pay them back and you think you're going to heap problems on them by you carrying that in your heart. The only person you're hurting is you. And you think you're trying to hurt them, but you're only hurting yourself. And so the first step in forgiving people is understanding, man, forgiveness is a solo, go back, forgiveness is a solo flight to freedom. That you're not choosing to harbor bitterness and let it crush your own soul. That by holding on to that, you're letting that person, that event, that moment have more power over you than it deserves. I'm going to let it go for the sake of my own heart. Not only does Jesus command it, but for the sake of my own soul, I'm going to let it go. And when you forgive as a solo flight to freedom, you need to know this. Two things. It's not forgetting. It doesn't mean that you become a doormat and just let that hurt take place over and over and over again for the glory of God. Just walk all over me. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you don't forgive and then create healthy boundaries in your life. It doesn't mean that you let it go, but then trust doesn't have to be restored again. It is absolutely not forgetting, nor nor is forgiveness fair. It's not. It's not fair that we should have to offer forgiveness. It's just not. It's not fair that Jesus had to pray to to forgive others when he was perfect and sinless. It's not fair that Jesus says, pray for your enemies. I hear that and I go, okay, I, I pray they get bad indigestion. Get hemorrhoids in their ears or something. I pray there's real bad stuff over them. You want me to pray for our enemies? I'll do that. We want, we want God to be fair all the time until it comes to our own life. We want fairness until it relates to us. But God's not fair, he's just. He's always just because he's holy, because he's good. Psalm 103, 10 through 11 says this. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great 
is his faithful love towards those who fear him. And I just want to say as sincerely and pastorally as I can to those of you in the room who feel like you still bear scars from a pain in your life. And you don't know if anyone else would ever understand. And I, I would say to you this, there, there is another one who still actually today bears the scars of forgiveness. And you'll, you'll never be more like Jesus than when you experience a radical injustice and you offer forgiveness. Because the forgiveness of Jesus has taken root in your life. You offer forgiveness. Grace isn't simply something we're supposed to receive and hold. Grace is supposed to be something we receive and then give. Mercy isn't just something we're supposed to receive and hold. It's supposed to be something we receive and give. Forgiveness isn't something that was supposed to be given to us to hold. It was to be given and released. And and I I know the struggles and I, I know the pain. But if you feel like you've been forgiven of little, then we forgive little. But when we feel like we've been forgiven much... It's, it's much easier to forgive much. And so I, I want to give you some space today really to wrestle with, with three questions here at the end. Number one, have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life? I didn't say have you gone to church. I didn't say have you been through confirmation. I said have you experienced this forgiveness? which you got to ask. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and forgiven. Has that happened in your life? If not, why not today? We're going to give you a moment to cry out to Jesus. Have you experienced his forgiveness? Two, maybe you have, but, but you struggle feeling forgiven. That's not God's best. If you've been forgiven, you are set free. Amen? And lastly, are you withholding forgiveness? And so we're going to give you a minute or two of silence. And we just just want you to process. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Reflect on those questions. If you haven't experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, then in this moment crying out, God, I am a sinner in need of a savior. Would you save me today? You're in a room full of people that are broken and hurting and have been saved by Jesus. Come be one of the forgiven. And if that's you today, take the card out of the seat back in front of you. Write down, I want to know and follow Jesus. Just mark that card just like so many already have and turn it in on the way out and we're going to follow with you. struggle to feel forgiven 
maybe take the card out, just write a prayer on the back. You don't have to sign it, but turn it in at the bucket. Maybe use the writing of your words to kind of release and give that back to God. Are you withholding forgiveness? Life's too short and calling's too great to be bound by bitterness. Got to pray for your work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.